0: Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Book of Revelation, this is session eight, A Kingdom of Priests. Now, remember what we're doing in this series is we're taking a theme a night from the book of Revelation. And we are spending time developing that theme, discussing, you know, how that looks, what that means for us, what it meant in that context a little bit. We're trying to do our best to, to gain understanding about the book of Revelation. And it just stands to reason that if we'll spend a couple of years here and we'll go the pace that we're going, slow conversation, dialogue about it in small group discussion afterwards and with a little bit of Q&A, it stands to reason that if we'll do this for a couple of years, we'll get it. That the book of Revelation would no longer be mysterious. That it would no longer be something that seems uh, like we can't understand it. But it would be something we're very familiar with. And that's the goal. That's the objective. The reason we're spending this much time is because those that hang with us throughout all that period, I know will walk out of this series with a real grasp on the book of Revelation that I think is important in this hour. So, we're going to talk tonight about being a kingdom of priests... And what I want to highlight tonight is that term, uh, kingdom of priests or kingdom and, uh, and priests before our God. I want to highlight that term out of the book of Revelation. And we're going to talk about what that means uh, to be a kingdom of priests. But before we do, I just want to uh, kind of take a little bit more of a broad perspective for just a moment. And I want to talk about the book of Revelation revealing the identity of the believer. The book of Revelation Giving us not just revelation about Jesus, but giving us revelation about us. The book of Revelation casting a vision for us, having a number of roles before the Lord. The book of Revelation talks about a number of the multifaceted roles, aspects, components of our identity as believers. You can find them in the book of Revelation, elsewhere too. But I just want to give a, a quick run through of some, we won't hit all of them but some of the points of identity that we can see in the book of Revelation. And uh, the reason I want to kind of go through this list before we start talking about our identity as priests is I want us to start to look at the book of Revelation as a source of info about us, a source of information about our identity, a source of information about our role and our, our, uh, our purpose and our function in the kingdom of God, not just the end times book, But a book that reveals aspects of our identity and our nature that God greatly desires for us. And even more, that he promises, he prophesies, will become reality in the last generation. So there's some rich stuff in the book of Revelation. Let's just read through some of them here. If you've got your notes, I'm on page one. First one is servants of God. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. This idea that believers are not just believers in a God, we are servants of that God. We are servants of Jesus. We are those that are a part of his purposes and we serve his purposes. This is his intention for the body of Christ. Not that we would be churchgoers, that we would be servants of the purposes of Jesus Christ in this generation. That's rich. That's a rich one right there. And I wish we had more time for it. Maybe we'll spend a session on it later. Next, faithful followers of the Lamb. Now, this, this term here, i just read you the Revelation 17, 4. They will wage war against the Lamb. This is talking about the enemies of God, the last generation. But the Lamb will triumph over them because He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. And with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. I love this concept of faithful following. It's another uh, strong component of New Testament Christianity that we would follow the Lamb wherever He goes. I love the song that Castlin uh, spontaneously sung tonight uh, during worship. The, the best place we can be is following Him, is His plan, is His objective. We want to be more than servants that say, yes, sir, and do stuff we're supposed to do. We want to be those that know Him and follow Him that know his voice, that know his leading, that know the desires of his heart. Not just the stuff that we've got to do to be Christians. That's kind of a really lame way to look at life. That is really a non-biblical approach to Christianity. The stuff we have to do to be Christians. That's, That's totally not the heartbeat or the purpose of a New Testament Christianity. The purposes of the Lord is that we would be those that follow him. That we know where he's going. You can't follow him if you don't know where he's going. So you've got to know him well enough to know where he's going. And then you've got to be faithful enough to take those steps even when you don't like the way he's going. Even take those steps in the direction you look at it. you go, that's a terrible plan. Here we go. Man, I, I would never do that. And here I go. I'm going to do, do it double. I'm going to run. I'm not even going to walk. I'm going to run down this, this hill 100 miles an hour. Seems like a crazy plan, but if that's what you're doing, here I come. We want to be those that follow him faithfully the word of god says that the last generation will be filled with faithful followers of jesus again very different paradigm than pew sitting on a sunday morning attending a church service we we need to divorce attending church service christianity that needs to go away that does no place in the body of christ we want to be those that are his servants we want to be those that are his faithful followers end time witnesses this is another aspect this is really intense So this is a a significant portion of us obeying him, but it's a real specific um, assignment. Look at this, Revelation 12, verse 17. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman, and he went off to make war, to wage war, against the rest of her offspring, talking about the church. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. They hold fast to their testimony. They're saying stuff out loud about Jesus. Their life is in agreement with what they're saying. They have both a lifestyle and a message that is in agreement with who he is. It talks about him. They are witnesses in their generation. They are those that are proclaiming who he is and what he's about. This is not just Jesus died for our sins. This is who he is. This is what he's like. This is what he wants. This is being a faithful uh, witness of the man, not just that he died and, and rose again for our sins. That's the beginning. We talk about that as the entry point into the kingdom. That is not the whole counsel of God. That is the beginning to understanding anything, is recognizing that Jesus lived perfect, died for our sins, and that by his blood, we've been brought into the kingdom. But all of that was unto way more. We're not supposed to just camp out at the doorway into the kingdom. We're supposed to come through that doorway and talk about who he is and what he's like. And how He thinks and how He feels and what He wants and what He does for me and what it, how it burns in my soul, both good and difficult. How the Lord is, what He's like. The end time, the last generation will be filled with a community of believers. The church at large will be those that hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even if it costs them their life. Which is the next point, martyrs. The martyrdom that we see in the book of Revelation and in really the whole end time scene, it's sobering. It's sobering. I don't like this aspect. Kind of like I was talking about Jesus running 100 miles down the hill and says, come. There are times where Jesus does things, says things, has things uh, promised that I'm not particularly excited about. There will be great increase of martyrdom across the earth, way more than there is now. What is now will be dwarfed in comparison to what is coming. There is great martyrdom coming. Now, if we love our lives so much, then we might have a difficult time with that. But if you think about what actually a martyr is, it is the greatest testimony to the worth of the one who was just died for. You can't give any more than yourself. You can't give any more than your life. That's, once you've given that, that was all you gave. I mean, you gave everything. There will be so many who will give everything for this man. We will see a generation of the church where the church at large will be in a heart posture of, I could be a martyr. I will not back down. Many of them will be martyred. Many of them won't. But all of them in the heart conviction would be okay with it. Now, I just say it right now. We are not there as a church right now. But but we're headed that way. There is coming a time where the pressures, where the difficulties, where the joy, where the friendship, where the intimacy, where the knowledge of God will so expand that martyrdom will be thought a joy, a blessing, and an honor, and not a tragedy. No one will go out trying to get martyred, but neither will anyone shy back from it. The church that stands for Jesus in the most difficult time of human history, that's, that's a pretty big one. There's a lot of verses on that. We're going to spend a whole session on martyrdom because there's just too much in the book of Revelation to mention it as one little letter D in in an intro. The bride of Christ, book of Revelation, shows us our identity at the end of the age, which has always been the case, but highlights our identity as the bride that Jesus is coming back for. You know what? One of the ways that I know that Jesus is not coming anytime super duper soon, as in like the next few years, the church does not look, smell, sound, or act like the bride of Christ. And Jesus is coming back for a bride that's pure and spotless and that's equally yoked. And we're not there. So, you know, it's not going to happen tomorrow. Jesus is coming back for a pure and spotless bride that is walking with him, that is aligned with his purposes, a bride that's committed to all those other. Uh, components that we just read about, being witnesses, you know, being uh, fully in alignment with him, being martyrs, uh, being, uh, you know, those that are servants, followers of the lamb, wherever he goes. A bride that is looking at the coming of the bridegroom like like a bride does on her wedding day. Got to see one of those here pretty recently. It was pretty awesome. Watching the bride see her bridegroom and the elation and the emotion and the excitement and the, the culmination. Jesus is coming back for a bride that has made herself ready, Revelation 19, 7. She has made herself ready. There is a preparation process that we still have yet as a church to take many steps into. But what I want to focus on tonight, after now I've given you at least a a little bit of an intro, that the book of Revelation unpacks aspects of our identity. I'm going to spend the rest of the night talking about us being priests of God and how that's one of our identities. It's one of our uh, components of our identity before the Lord. And it's something that the Lord wants to see established and strengthened. Gave you some verses here Revelation 1 6, 5 10, and 20, verse 6. Bottom of page 2, if you're uh, looking. He has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 5.10 says similarly, you made them, talking about the church, you made them to be a kingdom and you made them to be priests to serve God and they will reign on the earth, reign on the earth as kings, as as part of a kingdom and as priests. Revelation 20 verse 6, Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. They will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him a thousand years. So I just want us to see this. The book of Revelation, whether you think about it much, whether I think about it at all, the book of Revelation declares that the believers in Christ are priests, Now, like we were talking a minute ago, we were saying there's a difference between being a saved person that loves Jesus and being one that serves him. That's different. There is something different between being one that knows God, that that loves the Lord in the general sense, and being one that operates like a priest. It's very different. Just because you're saved does not mean you're operating as a priest. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you're operating as a faithful witness, or as the Bride of Christ, or as anything else. These are invitations. These are actually proclamations about what the church will become. This gives me great hope. This means our future is epic. This means there's a lot of really good things that are coming to the church and for uh, the church and through us. Now, I just gave you here in this part two uh, in the notes, I gave you here a few of the examples in the book of Revelation where this theme of the priesthood is found again and again. I, I just want to make this clear. The subject of you and I being priests before God is mentioned over and over again in the book of Revelation. And again, the book of Revelation is a revelation of how things are going to be at the end of the age. Okay, The book of Revelation talks about the subject of the priesthood, about you and I being part of a Heavenly priesthood, about a priesthood before the Lord, talks about it over and over. And I want to make this point clear. The term priesthood is not rhetoric. The term priesthood means exactly what it sounds like. The term priesthood is real. The term priest means priest. It means someone acting and operating like a priest. Now, we have got a a bit of a negative lens or, or a bit of a jaded lens of what a priest is because of some traditions that have priests that are titled priests, that's not what a priest is. A priest is what the Bible says a priest is. So don't let, well, this denomination or this group, they have priests and I don't really understand all that and I don't really like all that. That's fine. You don't have to understand or like that. That's fine. Understand and like what the Bible says a priest is because the, priest, the Bible says you are a priest. And so we need to get some revelation about this so that we can begin to walk in it because this is one of those aspects of the kingdom of God that I think is yet very, very immature in the body of Christ. I think this is something that we have very little living understanding of, very little practical application of. We see it in the word and we're like, yeah, we're priests. And then we never give it another thought and no one bothered to define what that means. And we just kind of all high five each other. Hey, priest, hey, priest. And we have no idea what that means or what we're saying. And then we're not actually operating in the way that the scripture says that that role, that piece of our identity is supposed to be fleshed out. I'm gonna give you a few examples here in the book of Revelation. I'm gonna go quickly through this part. So the, part of the reason I give you all these notes, I mean, there's like seven or eight pages of notes here. We don't have time to get through all this. This is for the hungry. If you're hungry later, go read it. If you're not hungry, throw it away. It makes great uh, little note paper. You find these little half sheets of note paper around the building. It's all your old notes that you didn't take home. So um, the elders serving as priests before the throne. You look at the heavenly throne room uh, encounter, Revelation 4 at the top of page 3. Revelation 4 describes... These elders before the throne and the living creatures and what's happening is they're actually operating as priests before the altar in heaven. They're serving God with worship, with intercession, they're serving him with praise. These are some of the primary roles of priests. Priests' primary responsibility isn't to dress a certain way or to say certain stuff. Priests' primary responsibility is to minister to God. One little side note you maybe have heard me say before The primary reference to the word ministry in your Bible has nothing to do with ministering to people. The primary reference and the majority of references to the word ministry in your Bible is talking about a person, as a priest, ministering directly to God. The first and greatest commandment first, to love God, and then second is like it, to love people. But the first ministry is ministry to God the priests in the Old Testament and were supposed to be in the New Testament, the primary responsibility has nothing to do with humans, has everything to do with God, ministering to God, priests of God, to God, for God. Oh, yes, and out of the overflow of that, they minister to people, but they could totally be priests and never talk to a human, ever, because the ministry of the priesthood is a ministry to God. That's pretty powerful. We also see in uh, Revelation 5, it's just a fun little thing for you to read later, we see a partnership between the council that's around the throne in heaven operating in in their priestly role and the priesthood on the earth, the intercession of the saints that's being lifted up on the earth. In Revelation chapter 5, we see this divine convergence of those two ministries, the ministry of the priesthood around the throne and the ministry of the priesthood of the earth connected together and serving the purposes of the Lord. Again, I gave you the verse there. I'm going to keep going. Skipping down to part D, the great multitude commissioned to be priests forever. You're probably, if you read Revelation at least once, you're probably familiar that there's this like great multitude that nobody can count. Okay. Well, let's just read that passage real quick. Bottom page three Revelation 7, 9 through 15, I gave you just a little excerpt because I was trying to make a point. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They're standing there in their priestly role. They're, they're standing before him, not in roll call, like, you know, Jimmy here, Johnny here, Jippy here. I mean, it's, it's, this isn't like roll call, Okay. This is God's entire priesthood of believers standing in his presence, ministering to him as priests. That's what we see here. These are those that came out of the great tribulation. They are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. You know what activity happens in the temple? The priesthood. These saints, which is everybody this great multitude that no one can count, they're standing before the Lord day and night, day and night, night and day, day and night. It's the priesthood. This great multitude that no one can count, they stand before him day and night in his presence. It's the great multitude of heaven called into the eternal priesthood. See, this is, this is our future. What we need to be troubled by is the degree of our present that it isn't. This is our future. This is part of our identity. One of the great eternal rewards, if you know what an eternal reward is, it's when Jesus or one of the apostles or somebody says, you're going to live forever, right? And we go, yeah, I guess. He goes, okay, well, listen, if you'll live this way and you'll serve me in this way, I'll give you stuff, additional stuff on top of salvation, on top of living forever, on top of having a great house in heaven, I'll give you even more. You'll give me more than awesome. You'll give me more than everything. You'll give me double everything. Yes, I will give you double everything if you will live in these certain ways and you'll operate according to these certain principles, you do these certain things. Okay, cool, I'm in. What do I got to do? There's actually a list of about like 50 eternal rewards that we can have with certainty. If we'll pursue those things, the Bible makes it clear, those rewards will be our reality forever in eternity. One of the coolest ones, one of the highest calls is this interesting phrase in Revelation 3, top of page 4. The one who is victorious, it's talking about the end of the age. The one who is victorious in the midst of all the difficulties and some specifics that you can go find in Revelation 3. The one who is victorious, or the one who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I just want to make this real clear. You are going to live forever. You love Jesus. You're going to live forever. But there are only a few, a very small few, who will be in that temple and never leave it. These are the permanent fixtures of the priesthood. These are those that, like the elders that are around the throne, will be a permanent fixture, a pillar in the temple forever. The promise of even nearer priestly ministry in the age to come. How cool is that? All right, well, we're going to skip down because I want to get to a little bit of this priesthood, how it functions, what it's about. A priesthood that's from God and it's for God. That's what I want to talk about here for a minute. The priesthood was not an idea of humans. It was God's plan. The priesthood, in fact, was actually always intended in any of its forms, the priesthood was always intended to pull aside a specific portion of the population for himself. God being jealous to have those that were his nearest and dearest ones. God being jealous to have a portion of the people that are set apart specifically for him in a very unique way in their lifestyle, in their calling, in the way that they would operate before him. Look at this. Exodus 29, 1. This is what you are to do to consecrate them so they may serve me as priests. Exodus 29, 44. So I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. They're to serve me as priests. The role of the priestly ministry is to be God's personal priests, God's personal ministers. This is really awesome. Second, uh, first Chronicles 23, Aaron was set apart, his descendants forever to consecrate the most holy things, to offer sacrifices before the Lord, to minister before him and to pronounce blessings in his name forever. The role of the priesthood is God setting apart. These terms, all these verses we just read, these weren't the ideas of man. These were the decrees of God. I want you to set apart this group of people to be my personal ministry team. I want them. I want them to minister to me. Everyone's going to love me. That's my objective. I want everybody to love me. But these, I want to have a special, unique role in ministering direct to my heart in a way that is going to please me so near and dear forever. And that is their lot and their portion. I want for you to set aside for me a priesthood. This is so cool. Well, what do priests do? They stand faithfully before him. My sons, bottom of page four, do not neglect, uh, sorry, do not, Be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to do what? These are the priests. What has He chosen these priests to do? To stand before Him and to serve Him, to minister before Him and to burn incense. This is so intimate. The priesthood is about calling forth not just His friends, but those who are going to give themselves to a lifestyle, to an occupation, to a destiny of ministering directly to His heart, and they know it. They know they've been set apart to do it. They know that they are called and chosen for this very purpose. Let's go to the next page. Priests offer sacrifices, real ones. But sacrifices look different in the New Testament than they do in the Old Testament. We're told that there is no longer any place for sacrificing the blood of animals and, and you know, any of the sacrificial system in the form of uh, sacrificing animals and the blood. That's over. But that doesn't mean the sacrificial system is over. The sacrificial system got an upgrade. It's not with animals anymore. Verse uh, Psalm 107, 21 through 22, let them give thanks to the Lord. This is actually talking about the role of the priests. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings. You know, we think about that word sacrifice and it, it, it brings up this idea of that animals dying. It brings up this idea of costly, bloody, intense. Not like, and let us sacrifice with shouts of praise. I mean, it's not light and fluffy. Like, this is really intense. The priests were told, dig deep and offer him a sacrifice of thanksgiving on the day your spouse dies. You offer him that sacrifice. On the worst day of your life, on the darkest night of your soul. Offer him that sacrifice of praise. We've made it rhetoric. And offer Lord a sacrifice of praise. And we've, we're not thinking about the words. The sacrifice is costly. It's difficult. But it's a real sacrifice. But in this sacrifice, it's not talking about animals. It's talking about thanksgiving. Give, it, give thanksgiving in a way that's costly. Do it in the middle of the night, in the morning, late. I don't know. Lunch break instead of lunch. Do it in a way that is costly. That's what the priests were told to do. Priests stand before God in intercession. You guys know this verse out of Ezekiel 22, many of you. I look for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I'd not have to destroy it. This is talking about the role of intercession. Priests standing before the Lord and saying, Lord, I know your purposes for this person, for this city, for this nation. I know your purposes. But they're not in agreement with your purpose. I'm standing in the gap, God. And I'm asking you, bring mercy instead of judgment. I'm standing in the gap, God, on your behalf and on their behalf. Standing in the gap, in the place of intercession, asking the Lord to move. It's a priestly role. It's part of the priestly responsibilities and the priestly sacrifice. Priests start to declare his praises. I'll give you this 1 Peter 2.9 You're a chosen generation. This is Peter talking to the New Testament believers. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. No, I'm not. Well, the Bible says you are. Well, I don't feel like it. Doesn't much matter. You are a royal priesthood. Congratulations. Well, I didn't know that. I'm not acting like, well, let's get with it. Because you are a royal priesthood. Like it or lump it, we need to grow in revelation of that which we are. We are a royal priesthood priesthood. You know what royal priesthood means? Kingdom of priests. Same idea. A royal priesthood. Those that are serving in a a governmental capacity, they're, they're part of the royalty of God, but they're serving together. It's not an individual. You are not royal priests individually. We are a royal priesthood together. We are serving together for the purposes of the Lord, and we're a priesthood, and priests worship, and they offer sacrifices. That's what priests do. Priests stand before God and minister to him directly. It is a role that we have. And I think it's a role that we don't really take super seriously. It's something that the Lord wants us to grow in. Okay. Being an eternal kingdom of priests. I don't have time to develop all this. So I'm going to go pretty quick. Again, that's the reason that you've got the notes. Exodus 19.6 is what John was quoting in Revelation 1 when John said, you're going to be a kingdom and priest. You've been called by God to be a kingdom and priest. He's quoting Exodus 19, verse 6. Here's 19, 6. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You are to be a kingdom of priests. You're you're to grow in the revelation of being my kingdom, but not just my kingdom of people and followers. You're to be my kingdom that's a priesthood that operates like priests that are a part of my kingdom. That's what's supposed to be happening. Well, when John said these words, and John's reminding the hearers in Revelation 1, when John said these words, he's reminding the hearers of something that they have a very keen sense of understanding about that's not something we think a ton about right now. And that is, kingdoms are led by kings. And in John's day... The kingdom of Rome was very clear in the hearts of all of John's hearers. We are part of the kingdom of Rome and there is a king called Caesar and he rules. John is telling his believers, you must remember you are a part of a different kingdom and you have a king and your king is coming one day. And when your king comes, he will establish the fullness of his kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven. When John's hearers heard this, there was, a, there was a jubilee in their heart, an elation. We're a kingdom. That means we've got a king. That means we're not an orphaned people. Our king is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to fully establish the kingdom. And he's going to fully establish the priesthood. We are a kingdom of priests. Well, this is one of the points that I want to invite you to meditate a good bit on in the coming weeks. What does it look like for the church in 2019, disconjointed, scattered, sometimes a little bit divisive? What does it look like for the church of 2019 to be a kingdom of priests? Because if we're immature in our understanding of that, maturing in our understanding can be the antidote to the problem. We must mature in our understanding of what it means to be a kingdom of priests and what it is that the Lord is looking for tell you this, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. We need to learn what it is to be a unified priesthood. A people, I'll just get off here on a little soapbox and then I'll hop off the box as quick as I can. We have been taught far too rooted in a, of a way to be all about our individual life, our individual life in God. Our individual calling before God, us as individuals, and we have totally neglected the fact that we are called a body, that we are called servants together, that we are called a priesthood, we are called his church, we're called his bride, all of us together, his bride, his one bride, his one body, we have no revelation of our corporate identity. We operate purely in a very Greek mindset, in a very American thought process, where we are all about us as individuals, and we have no clarity at all of what it means that we are the church. We are the body of Christ. Christ died for us. We've made everything so selfish and self-focused. Christ died for me. Well, that's true, but he actually died for we, and it's a different revelation. Because it means that the other person has value too. It means that the other person has destiny and their destiny and your destiny are tied together. Instead of us all having individual destinies that are unrelated to one another. The Lord is calling forth a corporate priesthood that knows how to operate together in unity, in worship, in intercession, and the works of the kingdom. This is the Lord's purpose. A unified priesthood. Uh, Bottom of page 6. 1 Peter 2.5. You also, now this is New Testament, right? I just want us to understand this priesthood thing that we see all throughout Revelation. It's not a Revelation thing only. It's certainly not an Old Testament thing only. It is a New Testament reality. 1 Peter 2.5 says this is what's supposed to be happening. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood. We are supposed to be living stones built together into a holy priesthood, and somehow we've downgraded that to mean we get saved and we go to church and we tithe sometimes. And that's the kingdom of God. That's the throw up kingdom of God. That is not the kingdom of God. That is not what's supposed to be happening. You are living stones. You are a precious stone to God, each one of you, a precious stone, but you're being built together. And God loves you, but God loves your neighbor. And you're not just to be friends and appreciate one another. You're supposed to be friends on mission, and the mission is the priesthood. You are being built together like a uh, living stones into a spiritual house, and it says to be a holy priesthood. Your objective is to become a holy priesthood together with all those other beautiful individuals that are part of the body of Christ. And what do we do as a holy priesthood? What is our responsibility? To offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. We are to operate in a sacrificial system as a holy priesthood. But that sacrificial system is not animals. It is praise and thanksgiving and intercession. It is the role of the priests ministering to God first and then ministering to people second. What a beautiful picture, the first commandment and the second is like it. The priesthood was always about us ministering to God first. Listen, I'll just say it this way. When Jesus said, my father's house will be called a house of prayer, he was thinking about the priesthood. He was thinking about the church at large operating according to 1 Peter 2.5 that we would be built together to be a holy priesthood, that we would offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And I just want to say this, priesthoods, 100% of them in the Bible, which if we're trying to get the definition of a word, we don't want to turn on the TV. We want to look at the Bible. If we want to get our definition of a priesthood, we don't look at what a denomination did, We look at what the Bible says. That's how we get our definition of what a priesthood is. 100% of the priesthoods in the Bible were 24-7. 100% of them. They were night and day worship because they understood God is worthy at 2 a.m., 2 p.m., before lunch, all the time good day, bad day, he's worthy. He's worthy of these spiritual sacrifices being lifted up and there is no time at which he is not worthy. So we will offer him worth 100% of the time because that's the best that we can give him is 100%. Every priesthood in the Bible was a night and day priesthood. When God tells us we are priests, we can't make up a new definition. The priesthood which God is building Us into, this holy priesthood is a night and day priesthood that offers him sacrifices. And those sacrifices are deep within us. And they are thanksgiving, and they are praise, and they are intercession, and they are a ministry to him first and to people second. We are being built up into a holy priesthood. I think that part of the way, a significant part of the way, that the church will be able to withstand the difficulties of the last days is we will be operating in our priestly role. We'll be operating in a night and day reality of prayer and worship. We'll be operating as priests lifting up his name. We'll be operating as priests where our main focus is God, not stuff. God, not circumstances. God, not that meanie over there that's doing bad things to me. Our primary focus will be him, and that will then help us to triumph over everything around us. And then we'll make sense why there will be so many martyrs that will be willing to die for him because they weren't living for themselves they were living for him to begin with well we don't have any more time so we gotta stop so let's break up into some groups here we go if we can get uh, our our discussion group leaders hands in the air if I can see you I got Andy back there Cass is gonna be here Luke's gonna be over here I got John Stokes in the back there in the orange shirt and then Jeremy Jeremy will be over here Jeremy, Jeremy will be over here hey if we can listen in an orderly fashion and how many do we have in each group? 12. 12. Hey listen, if you've got 13 or 14 in your group, please scare a couple of them off and tell them to go to the group that doesn't have as many. Go ahead and round up the chairs. You guys are gonna have about 15 minutes for discussion and then we'll get back and do a little Q&A. Ready, break. Um, Okay, well then we'll go ahead and transition now to our time of Q&A again. um, Asking questions that are uh, from the content that we covered tonight uh, as best as we can. there are other settings for just random end times questions, but to try to do the best that we can to form your, our questions here from what was covered uh, tonight. So uh, we'll start over here with uh, Jeremy. Those are great questions. Okay. I'm going to treat them as two completely separate questions. So the first question was, what has happened, why is it, that here in our current context, when the term priest is used, we have such non-biblical thoughts about what that means? And um, I would say that I think that the expressions of, of... what that term means in some big denominations and in some big sections of Christianity, I think they got there honestly. I don't think there was ever any intention of we're going to try to make everybody think something different than what it means in the Bible. I think kind of like when we use the term. Uh, it, this happened somebody even in our staff uh, just a few weeks ago. I said something about you know you know the prayer movement, other houses of prayer, you know our tribe. And I use the term our tribe to describe those that are kind of running a similar direction. And the person brought up the fact that said, well, that, the way you just use the term tribe is not the way that the Bible uses the term tribe, so you're confusing things. And I was like, well, okay, I, I get it. I, I get it. I think that the groups that have established that term priest, I don't think we're intentionally trying to rewrite the primary definition of priesthood. I think it's happened because we're so accustomed to the not biblical. I don't mean unbiblical. I don't mean bad. I don't mean against the Bible. I just mean it doesn't follow the function and description of priests that we see in the Bible. The function and priests that we see in our culture is the primary expression we see of priesthood. And we see almost no expression of the biblical expression of priesthood. So we are so inoculated with a version of the word priest and a version of the word priesthood that is not what the Bible is describing, that it brings to mind anytime we hear the biblical word priest, we immediately are thinking about what we've seen the most, what we've experienced the most. And I don't think all of that's bad. It's just not Bible. And so, in all honesty, that could be said of about a hundred things in Christianity. And so it's one of the reasons, if I can just give a little uh, advertisement, you need to know the Bible. Because you will be lied to many, many times. You will be lied to by very popular preachers. And you need to know the Bible. So that you can go, that's true, that's true, that's not true. And maybe they weren't doing it on purpose, but that's still not true. The Bible says. So it's why we need to get our language, our, our norms, our culture, our language, our theology from the BIBLE and not from our world around us, not even from our church culture, not even from our church environments, though we may have some great ones. So great question. Second question you had was, uh, what was it? In the context of our modern- oh, yeah. Yeah, got it. So, uh, how do you be a priest in 2019? I want to change the question because I think that question still perpetuates a wrong thought process. It's how do we be a priesthood in 2019? It's not about individuals being priests, it's about us corporately being a priesthood. And I heard uh, the conversation was well, what about for those that are part of a church and it's not necessarily operating like a house of prayer or something like this? I want to say it clear. I don't think what we're doing is it. I think what we're doing is an expression of it. And there will be many. I'll say it this way. When we were talking earlier and we were looking at the servants of God, I think we could all agree at a philosophical level that if a believer is still struggling through points of immaturity and they are not serving God in any way. That That is immature. And, and we're not mad at them. Like, let's give them grace and help them. But also, let's never say, you don't need to be a servant of God. <laughs> You're just a saved person. You're not a, saved, uh, uh, a servant saved person. 100% of the kingdom of God is supposed to be servants. 100% of the kingdom of God are supposed to be part of the priesthood. So, if we've got a believer that doesn't serve, we want to encourage them, find ways to fix that problem. If we've got members of the body of Christ that are not operating as a priesthood, first, it's a corporate thing, it's got to be together. Let's encourage them, us, you, me, our friend, our neighbor, our mom. Let's encourage people to begin to find expression of how to be a modern day priesthood. And If it gets down to it, it has to be two or three things. It has to be God-centered, not man-centered. So it's not ministry to people. It's ministry to God. That's a priesthood. Second, it has to be corporate so no person can do it by themselves. It has to be come together to be the priesthood. You are being built like living stones together into a spiritual house, into a holy priesthood. Together. So it's got to be together. It's got to be God-centered. And it's got to have some aspect of prayer and worship in there. Okay? So wherever that isn't happening as part of the body of Christ, it doesn't mean anybody's bad, but it does mean we're deficient. It does mean that we're not operating in a portion of what it is that is our destiny, our calling, and who we are. So we want to look at that and go, that's an area that needs to be strengthened, not, oh, well, that's their thing. Like, oh, righteousness, that's their thing, that's not my thing. Oh, serving God, that's just for some other elite group, that's not for me. We are all a priesthood. We are all servants. So great questions. All right, let's come over here. Luke. Okay, so um, in heaven, uh, is being priests, all we're supposed to do, and being in God's presence, all we're supposed to like the only place we're going to be in eternity, Um this reference, like, the first, the Father's house, and like, many mansions, and, like, so. Being priests forever, like, is that the only thing we're going to do is be in heaven? Great question. So the question is, and again, I'm repeating the questions for those that are watching online and also for the recording. Um, The question was, so being a priest before God forever, is that all that eternity holds for an individual? Or is there more? There is so much more it will make your head spin. For instance, the priesthood, and again, we want to get our, our definition and our frame of reference from the Bible. The priests... Absolutely had lives. They had stuff going on. They had Pizza Tuesday. I mean, I just made that up. They did stuff. They had life. They had places that they lived. They had friends. They had times where they were on duty and times where they were off duty. And the priesthood that we see in heaven, the the, the example and the expression of the priesthoods on the earth are shadows of that. So there will absolutely be lots that we do, except for those that get the eternal reward of becoming a pillar in the house of God, and they never leave the temple day or night. Those are the exceptions, and they will be the rarest of exceptions. That will be some very small percentage, who knows how many, but that will not be half or majority by any means, any stretch of the imagination. And they will be really excited about their lot. They will think they got a really good deal. They will love it so much, they will laugh at all the rest of us suckers that have to leave, Okay. They will be so excited about that eternal reward that will be given to them as a badge of honor for the way that they live for Jesus. So heaven and eternity, we need to be thinking of eternity in heaven way, 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 way more like last week. What'd you do last week? You talked to people, you walked around. I hopefully you worshiped Jesus. You you used your talents and strength. You went places, you did stuff. You honored God in various contexts and situations. Heaven and eternity is not boring or less life than current life. It's more life than current life. So, right now, human life is a shadow of what it will be. But the stuff that we have human relationships, remembrance, celebration moments, um, uh, you know, festivals, uh, moments where we're engaging this way, moments where we're engaging this way. All of that is part of life forevermore. We have such a bland version of eternity that is also non-biblical. And it's probably way more informed from what we've seen on TV or what we've heard. But if you study the subject of heaven and eternity, there is so much about this. I'll just advertise one point. There's a 14-part Bible course out in the lobby on life in the millennium. Life. Life life in the millennium stuff will do in the thousand year reign so if that's a subject that interests you go find a way to get that or have some have your friend buy it and then you watch listen to it or read it later okay great question yes john That's a great question. So I, I think the question you're asking is, so if we're called to be priests, are we called only to be priests? Or are we also supposed to do things that are not priestly? And, uh, and, and we, we're called to be servants. We're called to be messengers of the gospel. We're called to be friends of God. We're called to be the church body. We're called. I'm not saying the priesthood is the only thing we're called to. I'm saying it's a massively neglected thing we're called to that needs to find expression, and that I believe in the last generation that we're moving into, I believe God will have his way, and we will be a priesthood, and so it's actually a point of deficiency in the church culture at large. I don't mean us, them. I I mean the whole planet right now. We're not much thinking about this subject, and God's thinking about it a lot, and I think that part of what's happening in the earth right now is lots and lots of new expressions of the priesthood are being birthed in every nation of the earth right now lots of them and i think it's far more reflective of what's in god's heart than it is people finally got a good idea and started doing something so uh, direct answer to your question as priests we're supposed to come together and minister to god as those who are called to the great commission we're supposed to be making disciples but that doesn't mean getting people saved Getting people saved is the absolute bare bones beginning. The gospel is, and the Great Commission is, that we would teach them to obey every single thing Jesus taught. Every single thing. Making them full-fledged disciples. I'll just tell you this. Preaching the gospel to somebody and walking away is only the very beginning point. Discipleship is a thousand times harder and takes way more work and energy and late nights and backslidings and repentance and love and forgiveness and lifting back up the process of discipleship is what jesus did with his guys jesus didn't say i'm the way the truth and the life uh come to me okay you good you come to me okay bye jesus said come to me okay now we can actually have the real conversation let's get you guys walking with me okay let's work it out so uh so the role of priest is not in conflict with the role of uh disciple makers It is absolutely part of the broad picture of what the kingdom of God is supposed to be. And again, I just want to advertise it again as what I think is a massively neglected part of the calling in the kingdom of God right now. But I'm not so worried about it because I think that the Lord is on this subject and is going to begin remedying this in increasing ways. And so right now, if we all just leave here tonight going, what would it look like for the priesthood to be operating in my local church? That's a great walk away, takeaway point tonight. That's a great one. Just to have the question in your heart, because it probably wasn't there last week. What a great question to start pondering and ponder with your friend and ponder w- ponder with a small group leader at your church. And those are great points, Cass. As priests now, what do we do? Um, I would think bare bones, you need to be finding other believers that you are going to be trying to be a priesthood with. And if you're a bad priesthood, I don't mean like evil, I just mean you're not good at it because you don't know what you're doing. That's way better than not doing it at all. So just be bad at it and learn and then get better at it and get better at it and get better at it. Right now, I think that this conversation is still in such its infant form that any efforts, To try to make it become a reality in our churches and small groups and contexts and ministries. I think any efforts to move in that direction are a powerful win for the kingdom of God in this hour. Because it's still in such an embryonic stage. It needs a lot of conversation, a lot of trial and error, a lot of effort, a lot of reading the Bible and going, Well, let's try to do that. I don't even know what that is, but let's give it a whirl and learning from other people, and, uh, and learning lessons from those that are doing a different expression that may not even be what you wind up doing. But Jesus has called us forever to be a kingdom and to be a priesthood forever. This concludes this teaching from The Prayer Room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.